Hey, what's going on? This is Jeremy Thone, Director of Marketing 3PL Systems and host of 3PL Live. I'm excited to share an interview with Erin Berenault. She is the founder and president of Revcon Logistics. She's been in the industry for about 24 years. She worked at the family business, which did manage transportation. In 2012, they sold the company to a publicly traded firm. About a year and a half ago, she started Revcon Logistics. They have definitely a unique business model. They believe in uh, transparency. They give, since they're managed transportation, they show the rates to their customers and help them make informed decisions. They also have a brokerage arm as well. We get into how she started the business and kind of her, her journey and her story. Hope you enjoy. Hey Aaron, thanks for coming on 3PL Live. I'm excited to speak with you. For those that don't know you, would you mind just giving me a little bit of background on you and Revcon, your company? Sure. So Aaron Baranolt, I am the founder and president of Revcon Logistics. I have literally been in this industry for 24 years, believe it or not, and um, have done a variety of different things. Grew up in a family, family-based third-party logistics company that really specialized in managed transportation. Did a variety of jobs there, everything from accounting to customer service to operations to finance to eventually um, overseeing the entire company. We sold it in 2012 to a publicly traded company, and I spent the next 10 years really helping to merge with the other organizations that that publicly traded company had purchased and create one massive third-party logistics company. But about a year and a half ago, I decided to start Revcon Logistics and get back to my roots and service our customers in the way that I wanted to. I'm sure that you learned a lot from that experience too, working, growing in that other brokerage. Did you learn a lot that inspired you, I guess? Was there any things that you wanted to do differently or that you saw that was potentially that you wanted to continue on? Yes, actually a a lot of different things. (laughs) I think I learned (laughs) a lot of things I didn't want to do, things I'd I'd like to change and improve. But really what I got out of that was how to create an extremely flexible and scalable model that could service my customer base no matter where they were in you know their growth cycle um, or as a company so kind of combining the historical model that i always had which was managed transportation 100 percent ltl um, and blending that with that um, ltl blanket kind of pure brokerage model and offering something different to the marketplace Yeah, for those that don't know, I guess, the distinction between like managed services and like freight brokerage, would you mind just kind of riffing on that for a second? What what is the difference for people that don't know? Yeah, and um, a lot of people will give you a lot of different answers, right? Because same thing with logistics, we're all totally different types of companies. But um, in my mind, brokerage is exercising my MC number, I'm buying a rate, I'm, I'm reselling a rate. So that markup is my margin. In the managed transportation world, it's much more transparent and we don't really exercise our MC number in that we are contracting rates directly for our customers. We are being transparent with the rates. We are sharing that through the tools and technology we have, and we're really allowing them to make the decisions about their business. Um, So we make our money in a much more contractual manner, like service fees versus marking up an individual transaction. Mm, that makes sense. So you're kind of almost like a consultant, sort of like you show the people their data and be like, hey, like, how do, what do you how do you want to handle this? Is that kind of more of the idea? They're more involved, I take it. 
Yeah, like our, our typical model, and it's completely flexible and customized to every customer, but we typically come in, we take a look at their business, we understand their needs, we go out, we negotiate rates on our contracts we have with our carriers. Um, we'll blend that with some of our LTL blanket if it makes sense. And then we'll take those rates, we'll translate it into our TMS, give the tools to their teams, allow them to drive those business decisions and create those bills lading. And then the invoices come to us. We do a complete outsource audit and pay through our team. And then we take that data and it's a proprietary database at that point of all of their shipping across all of their modes. Mm. And so that gives us actionable management reporting and business intelligence to say, hey, there are things we could maybe do differently. Have you ever thought about X, Y, and Z? Or maybe they're looking to close a warehouse or open a new warehouse or add a new product line. What does that look like and how does it affect their bottom line? So those are more of the activities we're involved with on a regular basis than our customers. It seems like there'll be a lot more analysis and like front loading of information, I would assume, in your type of work. And it seems less transactional and more strategic seems like the word that I want to use, but more like relationship based or more like contractual, I guess, as you alluded to earlier. Yeah, I'd say all of the above words. They're, <laughs> they're all <laughs> the words I use regularly. So we're strategic in nature, so our customers can be strategic, right? And we're consultative. We really don't want to be transactional. We don't we don't want to handle the individual loads. We want them to come to us so we can service them and give them the right information. But yeah, it's about being strategic and long-term partnership relationships, right? Finding the right partners and making it a sustainable model for our customers. And then from your past life, I'm, I'm assuming that you learned some sort of analytics or you learned something that you were able to like kind of look at this differently, I'm assuming too, or you were kind of already doing that, I guess, before in, in their past life. Yeah, we've always been um, very data-driven. Um, you know, my family-based company, we created our own proprietary software that was online back in like the early 2000s, believe it mm. or not, where our customers were able to drill down into their data. And we made it in manageable formats and like customized reports, but we really made it so that it was like easy KPIs that, you know, the C-level wants to look at, um, like cost per pound, cost per mile, like what are my costs for this individual location or general ledger? I'm really tying that all together so that it's meaningful for their business so that they can drive those decisions in the future. Are these carbon offsets really a thing? Because I know that you came to our event and I heard some of the people at the event talking about these carbon offsets. And I was randomly reading a book last night from the singer of the Talking Heads, David Byrne, and he was talking about like this idea of getting like carbon uh, offsets so if like you ride a bicycle back, like it was like just like an idea for like how to make cities like more livable because a lot of the cities are kind of designed around automobiles and like be kind of more interesting to have cities designed around like bicycles or something of that nature. But I'm just curious to see like, <laughs> is that is that a thing or is that something that's just kind of hype? I think it depends on who you ask, right. quite honestly, because I get customers who ask me about it. It's kind of like integrations, if you will. Everybody's talking about it. Everybody wants to do it. Is it on their radar? Yes. Is it something that they need today or they need to look at or they need to measure today? Maybe, maybe not. But we get asked about it a lot. And so having the capability of that in our TMS to be able to report it to our customers is very, very cool because we can we can market that and give them that information. But I don't have anybody who's really like demanding it today. What about just being a female as well? I, I know this is a pretty male-dominated industry. Um, did you 
you seem very obviously a leader and very strong minded, but has there been, has it been difficult at all being a, a female leader in this industry? You know, that is an interesting question um, that I don't actually get asked a lot, believe it or not, but yes. Yes, it has been a big part of, you know, growing up in this industry. I mean, I started in in our family company when I was 19. Um, mm. So I was not only a female in a very male-dominated industry 20-some years ago, but I was young. Um, so that really had an impact on how I thought about things and um, how I went about business and how I worked with my customers. Always kind of in the back of my mind, but I had an amazing mentor and that was my stepdad and he had been in the industry forever mm. um, and he really had me believe and still believe that you know i can do anything and i can do anything better than anybody else if i put my mind to it but that it certainly had its challenges i certainly had some conversations with people that were uncomfortable or difficult because believe it or not some people out there didn't think that women should be in the industry or mm. a young woman should be in the industry so it has been a difficult ride, um, but I, I surround myself with the right people, the people who are out there and want to work with women and support women and empower women. And I got to tell you, I've built an amazing network of customers who really support me as well um, and who have been um, very helpful in bringing me to this point in my career. What about your um, your stepdad? Did he give you any advice as far? It sounds like he gave you a, a growth mindset or a mindset of just resilience is what I'm gathering. But is there any other things that you learned from him that he taught you through his business years that <laughs> kind of stuck with you? I'm sure a lot of salespeople have heard this, um, but this has always stuck with me. It's just like, Aaron, shut up. <laughs> like listen to the customer when they talk to you um when they're speaking Fair. let them speak like they're telling you the things that you need to hear don't assume you know what they're gonna say because I, mm. I, I active listening yeah that's 100% fair and a really good thing to have. Um, I actually was in the Apple store the other day. I took a vacation. It was in, in New York for a few days. And I was talking to the guy in there and he was saying that uh, the, the guy at the Apple store was mentioning that Tim Cook is just so good at active listening, even to like a store level employee. Like he just felt so like heard there, which was interesting, interesting at the level that that guy's at. So I think that that is, it's really hard. I think a lot of people want to like look for the next question to ask and instead of like thinking about what that person's actually saying. So I think that is really good advice. How did he get into the industry? Was he like, do you know that, that story by chance? I, I know part of the story. I mean, um, growing up, I think in his 20s, he was into um, real estate and car sales and like crazy things like that. And he ended mm -hmm. up working on the dock of, I want to say it was like, not St. Johnsbury, but like CF. Anyways, ended up going to Yellow back when Yellow was Yellow. Um, mm. and Rest in peace. Yeah, yeah. Went through, <laughs> you know, terminal operations, everything. And finally, he was one of the first yellow national account reps that they had um, calling on corporate accounts. But at mm. that point in time, in like the 80s, it was like, what are these things like 3PLs and stuff? Like, go call on that. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that's kind of how he got into the transportation industry and kind of a little mindset like myself, which really has encouraged me to get to where I am today. He started our family business um, when he was actually about five years older than I was when I started this business. So I think he always wished he had done it sooner. And mm. now looking, you know, hindsight, I wish I had done this 10 years ago too, because mm. it's awesome to be an entrepreneur and to really shape your future. Um, 
and it's exciting and it's fun. And honestly, um, if you have the aptitude or the willingness to do it, I, I encourage people to really get out of their, you know, mindset and go and try something new and, you know, believe in yourself. Mm, that's fair. I feel like a lot of people get caught in their heads and a lot of like trepidation and a lot of like overthinking and not like executing. And I don't know, my dad has this thing, um, says like proper planning prevents piss poor performance, the five P's, but I, <laughs> that makes me laugh. But I do think that like, um, how much planning like went into this, like how I'm sure that you'd been thinking about it for a while with like the family business since you were like helping to run that for years, but like yeah. how, like, how much of like, um, were you thinking about it and like, how did it all go down as far as like how much time was there between like the execution and like the, that actually making it happen? Um, well, I kind of wish that there was more, but it was probably about just like six months from like, you know what, this is, this is what I want to do and I'm going to do it to go live operationally. So, um, it's not awesome. that much. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but there's a lot to it. I mean, you can't just go out and, you know, start a business, but, um, you know, there's a lot of resources. There's a lot of people in this industry that are wanting to help, um, startups. And, you know, if you have a network of people, you know, it can be, it can be easier than you think. Mm. Was there anything that was like a, a problem, like initially, as far as like, I don't, I'm, I'm sure that there's been many hurdles along the way, but looking back, has there been any things that you're like, oh gosh, like I'm really happy that we solved that particular issue or like just any achievements that you're proud of since you've started? Um, yeah, you know, it starting a business that does have a brokerage component to it, like any broker will tell you, I mean, in the beginning, you don't have credit. <laughs> it's hard. <laughs> <laughs> you know, so you're bootstrapping Money. it, you know, it's, it's cash up front. It's, um, it's hard as you establish that credit, but, um, yeah, I could imagine. Yeah. Paying on time, um, being a reputable broker that people want to work with, um, having the right conversations with your partners, um, actually talking to them versus, you know, doing everything through email. Um, that was probably the hardest mm. thing about starting up this business as well as, you know, just finding the right tech stack, if you will, right? Mm. Like, who do I want to partner with? Um, who do I see myself starting with today and being able to grow with into the next five to 10 years? That involved a lot of research, you know, and so finding the right TMS company, finding the right vendors for X, Y, and Z, um, finding the right audit and pay partner. All of that was probably the hardest part about starting it, but Again, I think it all comes back to the network. The, there's a ton of stuff out there. There's a lot of people that you can talk to and a lot of companies that are willing to do free demos, free, you know, trial this, trial that and see what works, see what doesn't. That took a lot of the initial time. But, um, mm, that makes sense. I mean, I think having good tools and systems and, and software is really important. Like when you're evaluating new software, um, let's just say like, I don't know if you use them or not, like Triumph Pay, for example, or HubTrend um, before they bought them, like... How do you go about like evaluating software and how do you know, I guess, like whether or not it's hype that they're saying or if it's like an actual like thing that like makes sense, you know, because you see a lot of it now. I think we talked about it a little bit that the show with like AI and machine learning and there's companies that are truly doing like AI and machine learning now, which is really cool to see. But there's also companies that are potentially doing something else like robotic process automation, like where it's just like a, a click, not a brain, essentially. So I'm wondering, like, how do you go about like evaluating stuff? Are you just sort of you? I, I know that so you do ask a lot of great questions. So is that part of it? 
Yeah, that's part of it. I mean, you know, having experience helps um, knowing sure. what you're looking at. And it's it's difficult because I actually talked with a company this week that I found to be really interesting. I connected with them through the 3PL Live event, um, which was Navix. And they're doing some really cool stuff that I don't know if it makes sense to apply it to my business today. Um, mm-hmm. But talking to them about the future and where they're at now and where they're heading is very cool. But when evaluating tech companies and tools and all this AI based stuff, the first thing that I evaluate is like, are they really listening to me? Do they understand my business model? Or are they just trying to feed me what they have? Right? Mm. Because sometimes I'll get on a call and it's like, you've got great tech and everything else, but I don't see how that applies to my day to day, to Mm. either make it better or improve it, you know, whatever efficiencies, visibility, whatever it is that you're selling, show me that in a real life setting. Mm-hmm. That's <laughs> and if they can't do that, then move on. So that's kind of criteria step number one. And then, yeah, it's just knowing the right questions or thinking through how that would look in your world and in your day to day. And is it really mm-hmm. going to create those efficiencies they say it's going to? It's interesting because like we're getting, a. it seems like we're trying to get away from as a society, um, away from email and and the phone, but it seems like also like we're heading back towards that way as well. Like it's like almost like try to get the systems to do or the computers to do most of the work, but then have like, you still need to have that human connection. But I think a lot of people are, don't want to pick up the phone for whatever reason. I don't know. We've, this is, I think a lot of people just would rather email or text or whatever. And I don't, I don't know what the deal is with that, but I don't know if you're finding (laughs) that to be the case too. Yes. It's kind of a wild swing. Um, I've had this conversation with a lot of different people lately, specifically, um, especially in sales, like sales has changed so much and it feels like it's going back to the way it was in some ways, if you will, because people are bombarded by email. People don't want to read email. They don't want to read email from people they don't know. They don't want to feel like it's just another, you know, repeat of the same subject lines to try and get your attention. But at the same time, you're right. People aren't answering the phone. They're not answering the phone for people they don't know. Um, so I found that like your network, I know I've probably talked about my network like a hundred times on this call, but your network is so important because that's who's going to answer the phone for you. That's who's going to refer you into other people. That's who's you know going to help you build your business or get you to where you need to be or introduce you to the right people. So it's been interesting because I was talking to somebody else about, well, well if you're new to this industry, how do you build that network? Um, so I think finding a mentor is definitely helpful as well. But um, yeah, I, to me, the phone will always be important. I yeah, Email's great, um, especially for follow-up, porting, different things like that. But as far as building a real relationship, you've got to be on the phone. Mm. You just have to. Yeah, it's fair. And people just, you can get a lot more done on the phone, I feel like, too. Like if you have like specific questions and things of that nature. And people like just to feel like they like they're thought about, I guess, and cared about, or something along those lines. Which is, I don't know, it's interesting. Um, what about um, as far as like how do you stay up on like news and things? Do you read like like freight waves or like how are you keeping up on like anything that's affecting your your business? Yeah, there's there's a lot out there right now. Um, that's for sure. So I do a lot of my own research uh, daily. You know, I kind of follow a couple different people that are, you know, on LinkedIn or on X and um, 
are posting information that I have found valuable before. So um, I do that every day. I spend a little bit of time in the morning with that, but I obviously get um, the news updates sent to me from like the freight waves of the world. You know, freight caviar actually is pretty interesting and entertaining mm. in a lot of different ways. Like Paul? Um, yeah, different podcasts as well, you know, listening and learning from people who are in the industry, maybe not talking about like today's newsworthy items, but just talking about the industry in general and how they feel and see things. So there's so much out there. I like to listen. I like to read and I, I love videos. So um, mm. all of the above. Same. Yeah. What about like the the market in general? Like, what are you seeing in, I, I don't know how much of the spot market you follow. I, I'm not like too in the weeds on it. I just listen to what I hear from our vendors and partners and things of that nature. But it, it sounds like it's been kind of a, a brutal year for the spot market as far as like, I'm um, just, these carriers can't make money is what I'm hearing. Is that what you're hearing as well? Or what, what is your overall view? Yeah. I mean, I think it's different between truckload and LTL for sure. And I think it depends on who you talk to. I mean, as a, a new third, you know, broker, third party logistics company, I mean, the sky's the limit for us. Um, right. So we're not coming down from any of these, you know, huge highs that everybody had during um, the last two or three years. But mm-hmm. yeah, it's soft. I mean, there's, there's definitely capacity out there. Um, you know, we have carriers still calling us every day for um, lanes and shipments and, you know, they're looking for business um, and the price point uh, seems to be right for us and our customers. But yeah, I, I really do think it depends on who you talk to. Um, you know, I really tend to live in the LTL side mm. of the equation Sure. Um, and things are very different there. I mean, you've had so much activity the last couple of um, months. You've had, you know, yellow, go out, like said, rest in peace. Um <laughs> Estes, I mean, the cyber attack has definitely changed the dynamic of the LTL uh, marketplace the last couple of weeks. I mean, they're definitely not at capacity and they pick up a lot of that yellow business. So I think with yellow going out, people thought that it would really, really disrupt the marketplace. And it did for a couple of weeks, but then it really leveled out. And there was still that capacity because all those carriers had planned on so much growth through COVID. They had purchased all this equipment. They'd expanded their um, geography and their territory and their terminals. And so um, they had room. And I think once Estes is back on their feet, which shouldn't be much longer, um, I think we'll see that stabilize a little bit more. So it's still in my mind, shippers can can get out there and get good pricing if they have the right partnerships with the carriers. Mm. Yeah, that's a lot of stuff actually. YRC and then the Estes cyber attack. I didn't really dig too deep into the Estes cyber attack, but that was I did like quickly hear about it, and I thought that that was pretty bananas too. Did they find out what happened there, or is there like any like news on like who did it or anything like that? I don't know who did it. I don't know. I mean, I'm sure they know at this point who did it, but believe it or not, there are a ton of company companies out there that that do this, like from different European countries um, who target. A lot of carriers um, and third-party logistics companies in the Scary. U.S., if you've got insurance for cyber attacks, they actually, that's how they find their prospects of who they're going to attack next. Jeez. Yeah. I don't um, Is it? Do you think this war in Israel, I know this is kind of a crazy question, but will it have any effect on any of these markets, like for LTL or anything or truckload? Well, um, we're already seeing reports out today about how it's going to impact, you know, ocean and air. So that always, it's, it's a trickle down, right? I mean, it's mm-hmm. a supply chain. So we should probably see some impact, what that will look like and what it'll be. I mean, I'm, I'm not that close to that right this moment, but sure. um, it always is a trickle down in this industry. What do you think about like just the industry? I, there, there seems to be a lot of this 
and I know you're more on the LTL side, so it's probably like not as much in your cup of tea because it seems like the LTL carriers usually don't change too often because they're like bigger companies. But it seems like a lot of like these in general, people are like wanting to use the same carrier over and over again. Like that's kind of like the narrative that I've been hearing from like a lot of freight tech vendors and like, you know, double brokering and fraud and like why use like some of these carriers that are just like more risky instead of reusing. And I know that's probably not your cup of tea, but in general, do you think that that trend is going to continue on as far as like just the the vetting of carriers is going to get more and more important in in the industry moving forward? Yes. Yes, for sure. I mean, it's, it is crazy, again, starting this third-party logistics company that has that truckload brokerage part of the equation to it, um, seeing the fraud that exists um, and going through and setting up our compliance process and our safety processes and how we vet our carriers. There's some amazing tools out there, but you still do need people, right, to evaluate it um, and to read it and to have that human element. But for us, it's it's huge. We our carrier base from a truckload standpoint is very small. Um, we hardly ever post anything on a load board. Um, we're not looking for that type of activity because that's where a lot of that fraudulent activity comes in, right? Mm. Um, so we avoid that as much as possible. We've limited our carrier base, um, but not only because of the fraud, just because we want that partnership with our carriers. Um, we want them to call us. We want them to be the same drivers that are going into our customers using the same lanes, um, getting us that sustainable and consistent pricing with our, our um, customer base. Um, so I think there's a lot of good reasons to have a smaller carrier base. Having 500,000 truckload carriers set up with you as a broker, I just don't see any value in it because <laughs> you just don't know them and you yeah. don't know what's going on. And you, you know, there's you're more apt to have. Fraud, seems so. like a good way to get <laughs> get fleeced. Hundred percent, hundred percent. We we have a totally different philosophy here, but um, yeah, I like I, that. I, it's gonna keep going, I'm sure. Yeah, I, I can. Um, I don't know. You have like just a couple more minutes, and then yeah, cool. Um, what about the I guess future as far as like future of your company? What are you working on, and like how do you? Um, is there anything that you want to roll out in the next year or two, or like any sort of vision for future state? Um, that's a good question. Um, no, we're, we're just focused on growing that managed transportation part of our business. We'll probably add some more reporting tools and capabilities, not only through our TMS, which is going to have some cool things being rolled out, but on our audit and pay side of the equation, um, getting more automated and perhaps some AI driven things, but more around the reporting side of the equation, what our customers are looking for and what they continue to pull reports on. That type of stuff, I think, will be pretty meaningful up for, for us uh, moving forward. And, you know, for us, again, being being so new, it's just building our company, you know, building mm. our sales team, building our um, customer base, um, servicing those customers. And, um, you know, I think, like I said, we've built a really great tech stack. Um, if we can improve upon that and bring capabilities and tools into things like the TMS, um, that'll be very cool for our customers. But yeah, just just really focused on our core competencies. It's fair. I, I've seen you on LinkedIn too. I'm a big fan of LinkedIn and I'm all about like using social selling if you can, or at least being just, I, I'm with you as far as your network is your net worth as well. As far as just like the more you go out there and network and the more you, you meet people, the more opportunities that seemingly happen. So I'm just curious, is, is LinkedIn part of your strategy or web presence in general, as far as like getting the company out there in the limelight, I guess? Yeah, 100%. I mean, 
I didn't really think about or care about like personal branding <laughs> Sure. <laughs> um, before the last couple of years, but that's a real thing. I mean, not only your personal branding for yourself as an individual and, you know, kind of who you are and what you talk about and what you're knowledgeable about to build your network. But um, when building a company, it's, it's hundred percent important to build not only a personal brand, but the brand of the company. So um, social media and LinkedIn specifically has been a huge area for us to grow that. Um, we're just now getting into the X side of the equation. Um, for us, I think Facebook and what's the other one? Instagram. It's just not like that's not where our customer base lives sure. or like our network of people live. So LinkedIn tends to be the one we get the best bang for the buck. And we can, you know, you can generate content. You can put stuff out there. People can learn about you, but they can see about what you care about and, you know, who you're talking to and who you're talking you know, what the topics are. There's some crazy stuff out there too. I mean, I don't know uh, how much you delve into to what goes on on LinkedIn as well, but people tend to get pretty personal out there. And, mm. Yeah, uh, I can see that. Yeah. <laughs> it can drive some interesting conversations, but for us, it's, it's pretty much hundred percent, you know, business related and um, just getting mm. the content out there. Yeah, I know there's a lot of stuff going on with X too. I have have some friends that are reading Elon's new book and there's a part in his book they were talking about how they wanted to move the Twitter servers like with like like a week's notice and like they were just like picking them up like with some truck from his like boring office. So it's interesting that guy definitely has like a a he just says like let's make this happen and like there's no turning back. So yes. I think that Elon's super interesting. I, I'm not a huge or I don't like go on Twitter a whole lot, but I do appreciate the threads, the ones that I do see of like interesting information on like, I don't know, solopreneurship or entrepreneurship, things like that. Um, yeah. But um, I'm a fan of all that stuff as well. I guess a last question for you, like how do you, being like an entrepreneur, it's got to be pretty stressful. Um, how do you like deal with like the day-to-day stress of like work do you do you um keep like a nice work-life balance or how do you i guess manage the stress of running a business um and keeping healthy yeah you know that was one of the things i told myself in starting this company is that i want a better quality of life because you know the last 10 years before that it's private equity and it's you know crazy things going on and um you know you're running ragged most of the day sorry you hear my dog barking uh, right no worries you know, it's, it's, um, it's important to me to be able to turn everything off and go out, go out with my husband, um, relax and take a hike, do whatever. I mean, I'm in the mm-hmm. middle of Phoenix, so there's a lot to do most of the year outside. So just making sure I set aside the time on the weekends and after work to do it. Um, it's really mm-hmm. important. To me. That's, That's fair. Yeah. I feel like a lot of people don't set the time there was mm-hmm. some book that Cameron actually recommended to me and it was like something like 4,000 weekends or something like that. Like you have 4,000 like um, weekends or something like that. And before you pass, if you live to like oh. 80, <laughs> so like, I guess I have like 2,000 <laughs> left. <laughs> so they thinking about it that way. Um, yeah. So to your point, I guess if you don't make time for it, um, yeah, tomorrow's not necessarily promise. So that's, it's totally fair. And I think that a lot of people don't make the time. But to your point too, having like your own company, you can create that like work-life balance or just focus on the things that are just like more, I guess, important, like uh, the 80-20 rule, I guess, like the things that just focus on like the, the, the good stuff, which is nice. I think that it's the opposite too, when you're like at a company or in general, sometimes you have to just expand your day. But when you're an entrepreneur, you don't have time for that. You just have time to like just get stuff done, which is a completely different mentality. 
thank you so much for the conversation. Um, any other cl- closing thoughts you wanted to leave us with? No, I just, um, I love, I love uh, listening to your podcast. Love what you're out there doing. Um, love the company that you support and, um, you know, just keep doing what you're doing. Great. Thank you so much for the kind words. That was nice. Where do we send people, Aaron, if they want to learn more about RevCon or about um, you? Sure. Um, you can follow me on LinkedIn, um, Aaron Baranalt, um, or look at us on the web, um, www.revconlogistics.com. Awesome. Thank you so much for the time. Awesome. Thanks for sticking around to the end of that episode with Aaron Baranalt of RevCon Logistics. Definitely follow her on LinkedIn if you don't already check out their website as well. Yeah, it was a very interesting conversation with Erin. I do find that like what her stepfather said about active listening, more people could do a better job of active listening and myself included. But hope you enjoyed that episode. If you get any value of listening to the show, please review us on Spotify and Apple. We appreciate it and have a great rest of your day.